Well, we will uh, say our memory verse together for the month of February. Psalm 119.89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heaven. Psalm 119.89. And we continue our series through the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Today we are wrapping up this mini-series that we've started in the book of Psalms. Somebody said something about a big game today. Anybody, anybody know anything about uh, a big game? I was just told, I think my... Okay, yeah, that's, that's true. Eagles aren't in it. And um, yeah, my mic, uh, let's see here. Ooh, there it goes. Let me work that out here. Hopefully that'll help a little bit in the back. Oh, there we go. Yeah, the Eagles aren't in it. Um, let's cheer for a red team today. Some, some team that wears red. Let's hope that a, a team that wears red is going to win. You know, I always feel bad on these days for the officials. You know, no, no official ever wakes up on Super Bowl Sunday and says, I want to be the guy that makes the bad call that everyone's complaining about for the next few months. And so uh, maybe some of you don't care at all uh, about the game, who wins, who loses. Uh, you can cheer that the officials uh, will not be put in a situation where they'll be the uh, brunt of a lot of jokes over the next few months. So, Probably, though, I, I imagine that there's going to be a lot more fun, at least a lot more wholesome fun today around 2 p.m., uh, up at Elizabethtown, specifically Elizabethtown Mennonite, where our Bible quizzers will be taking the playing field. Yeah, we can cheer our Bible quizzers on. They're, they're doing tremendous work getting together and studying together. I, I love that. I love that that is something that uh, God brings about through the Bible quizzing ministry here, that uh, students, like youth-age students, just get together and just study the Bible together for fun. Um, that's... That's awesome, and uh, so very excited about how the Lord uh, will uh, be present in that ministry today as well. Well, regardless of today's outcome, I thought it would be important that I gave you my official prediction. Yeah, and this is a lock. You can book it. This is my prediction. I predict that what we are going to explore and talk about in the next 30 to 45 minutes will be far more life-giving and nourishing than anything we will consume later this evening. Amen? Amen. Yes. <laughs> this is just the nature of God's Word, and I love it, and I know that many of you here in this building and online love it as well, love reading it, studying it, learning how to apply it in our lives. God feeds us and nourishes us and enriches and matures us through the practice of the corporate study of his word. And here is a reality that is relatable to many of us that are gathered today. Life can be hard and long and sometimes feel confusing. And we are faced on a daily basis with challenging situations, decisions that require wisdom. On any given day, the waves of life can rise up and sweep us off our feet we are in need of a reliable and steadfast anchor. Times can grow dark. We need a lamp to guide our footsteps. We might wake up and 
at the moment we wake up, we feel good and glorious, like everything is great, only to arrive at our daily destination and find everything disheveled and disoriented. We need a map, a compass to rightly guide our thoughts and our actions. Things sometimes don't seem to make sense, and we can feel as though the things in our life just aren't rightly ordered or prioritized. We need a resource to help us order and prioritize our daily lives. There's anxiety. There's worry. Anyone ever feeling stressed out these days? There's doubt. Sometimes fear can overwhelm us. We need a well that we can come to, to draw from. One that will sustain us, calm us, encourage us, even make us brave, come what may. God knows us perfectly. He knows his creation. He knew that we would need such a well to draw from, and God delivered. I appreciated last week during our Family Life Hour, our quizzers, we're up here and they were getting ready to, to, to kind of show you what it's like to do Bible quizzing. And Daryl, who leads our Bible quizzing ministry, said something along this effect. And I, I may misquote him a little, but it was very powerful. He said, we believe that the word of God is true and we believe that the word of God is both a what and a who. A powerful truth and reminder that when we open the scriptures, when we open God's word, we never open them alone. And their words should never be read, interpreted, or understood, untethered, or disembodied from their ultimate author, the one who is the very word himself. As Scott said this morning, our Lagos, our Savior, Jesus. And so today we finish this mini-series through the book of Psalm. We're going to be reflecting on Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm in the entire Psalter, and don't worry, we're not going to be here all day. We will not be reading all 176 verses of Psalm 119. Psalm 119, the whole of it is dedicated to the life-giving, enriching, and nourishing nature of God's Word. These are words that break up the fog of life, words that God uses to lead us into quiet pastures and beside still waters, words that can restore our souls, words that promote and motivate holiness and justice and righteousness in Christian community. These are words that transcend time, that are filled up with truth for all time, that are reliable for every season, every situation, every circumstance. These are words to wrestle with, words to chew on and to meditate on, words to sing, even dance to, words to chant and recite and rehearse, to memorize, to deeply embed and embrace. There are words in the scriptures that God uses to hold us when we cry, words that are present with us when we are lonely. Some of you here today can affirm that in your life when you felt the loneliest, some of the words that have carried you through those seasons come straight from these scriptures. Words that never abandon. Words that never forsake. They're words that spark imagination. They're words that can confirm and establish. And they're words that can ground and uproot. They're words that give life and that provide us with hope. 
Words that lay a strong and sure foundation from which we can live. Living and active words. Working as a two-edged sword. Driving into the depths of our soul to dig out the ways of death. And to sow the ways of life. So if you have your Bibles today, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 119. We're going to explore its content together. And the time that we have together today, we will be reflecting on the beginning stanza of the psalm, the middle stanza of the psalm, and the last or the ending final stanza of the psalm. And together today, we will seek to cultivate a deeper and greater appreciation for how God uses his word to equip and empower his people to live as agents of grace and mercy in a world that's been ransacked and held captive by sin and death. How does God use his word to build, sustain his church so that we might endure and flourish living in faithful accord with Jesus' words and ways? Before we begin to read today, Let's pray and ask Jesus to help us. Jesus, you are our word become flesh. You are the bread of life. You are our living water. You feed us. You nourish us. You lift us with your words. They are a guide to us that is faithful and true, comforting, hopeful, challenging, motivating, moving. And you use them. Lord, you are using them now. We know that in this corporate practice of studying your word, that your spirit is alive and he is active, that he's moving in our midst, that he's working even now, that he's going before to apply to each and every one of us exactly what we need to hear to keep us moving for your glory this week. So Father, change us, challenge us, grow us, comfort us, equip us, move us from these spaces so that we might honor you both in word and in deed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll begin in 119, verses 1 to 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Psalm 119 is an acrostic. If you look in your scriptures, at the beginning of each stanza, you may see in your copy of the word, a word in italics, or maybe it's in bold, like Aleph. And then maybe down a few verses, you might see the word bet, or it might be like Beth, it's pronounced bet. And then you might see uh, Gimel, Dali, Hey, onward, onward, onward. Each of those Words is a letter 
of the Hebrew alphabet. And in the original language, each stanza begins with the corresponding letter. So we do this still today in our culture, in our world, and in the spirit of Valentine's Day, which, men, that is on Wednesday, okay? Just uh, as a reminder. We might think of a more famous or more modern acrostic that we've used. Let's consider the word love. L is for the way you look at me. Not the way you look at me from those pews up here, I can tell you that much. (laughs) Don't look at your spouse that way. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Some of you look at me very kindly. (laughs) O is for the only one I see. V is very, very extraordinary. And I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) E is even more than anyone that you can adore. This entire psalm encompasses the nature of God's word. It's showing us that God's word is sufficient from the beginning all the way through the end. And just like we witnessed in Psalm chapter 1, the psalm begins with the word blessed. For our author, and the author of this psalm has been debated, it's unknown, the one who is blessed, or the one who does abundantly well, is the one who's obedient to God's law, God's ways, his commands, or as he states, his rules. In God's kingdom, his governing policy is not written to restrict. It is instead written to guide his citizens towards true, real, and everlasting life and freedom. Jesus uses these same words, this idea of blessed, at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. And it's intentional. We are to hearken back to the Old Testament and these words blessed that we hear and that we know exist in the Old Testament. For the person who is following God's ways and God's word, Jesus is describing how their life is going to be shaped or ordered or characterized. God desires that his precepts be kept by his people. And the psalmist in this first stanza is grieving by verse 5 that this is not the regular disposition of the human heart. We know that we are sheep who are prone to wonder. At least I am. One tool that God uses to prod And to guide his sheep into green pastures and along still waters is his word. And for the one who is faithfully seeking to live according to God's word, there is freedom. We see this as verse 5 blends into verse 6. Take a look at those two verses again. If only I were predisposed to keep your statutes, then I would not be ashamed if I were focused on all your commands. Here's the freedom that we're alluding to. God's ways, walking on his paths, according to his precepts, has a way of keeping his people from experiencing shame. And hiding or living in shame, friends, is a terrible place to be. Shame is one of our cruelest enslavers on earth. God desires to keep his people from the pain field and bitter experience of shame. 
And one of the greatest antidotes that we have to living in shame is faithfulness to God's word. In the church, we often conflate, confuse, sometimes even falsely equivocate the word shame and conviction or grief and shame. Feeling conviction about sin is not the same as living or hiding in shame. There's a difference. True conviction of sin actually moves a person towards behaviors of confession and repentance. It brings us out into the open where we can find healing and restoration. Shame takes a person deeper into hiding. Grief over sin causes us to mourn and to weep over the harm that we've caused to God, ourselves, and others, leading us to make amends, to apologize, to seek forgiveness, to reconcile with God, ourselves, or those we have harmed. Shame moves us into isolation. It leads us away in shackles. We're found as hostages, captive behind bars, trapped in the dark chambers of our minds and hearts. Shame is a terrible place to live. In shame, we start to believe the lies. No one could forgive us. I'm a terrible person. I'm unworthy. I'm unlovable. No one knows me. No one sees me. I have no hope. I can't believe I did that. Some of us live in this space, covered in shame. And when we're covered in shame, we're often found as ungrateful because we have not understood or embraced grace. And if we've not understood or embraced grace, then it's nearly impossible to extend grace to anyone else because we're wholly ungracious towards ourselves. It's hard to possibly understand a God as gracious and loving that we serve because we've not truly recognized, understood, or embraced His loyal, steadfast, merciful, abounding, agape, unconditional love. Living in light of God's love moves us towards a life of gratitude, moves us away from shame, one where we can live with the confidence that as we endeavor to walk in God's ways, He will never abandon us. Look at verses 7 and 8. I will give you sincere thanks when I learn your just regulations. I will keep your statutes. Do not completely abandon me. Those who follow God's ways and God's words have found a good and righteous guide. One that leads us along right paths. One that keeps us from shame. One that makes us thankful. That helps us live with the confidence that we are not alone. God is with us. And so we continue to move through this psalm, looking for ways that God is using His Word to build and sustain His people. And we move to verse 97. 
Now, verse 97, verses 97 to 104 are smack dab in the middle of Psalm 119. The middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the letter M. We pronounce it Mim. And so we'll go here in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And notice all the exclamation marks in Psalm 119. The writer truly loves God's word. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Where can we find true nourishment to sustain us through our most long and difficult seasons of life? Our author wants us to recognize that God's word is something that we can take with us Everywhere we go, we can always have it. It can inhabit our hearts and our minds through every long day and every season we find ourselves in. The writer here also uses a word twice in this stanza that perhaps merits some further dialogue because there can be confusion around this word. Did anybody catch it two times? The word Meditation. And to rightly address this word, we want to situate it within its historical context. And we want to grab hold of its thread and pull it into our modern context today. What did meditation mean in the context of ancient Jewish religious tradition? What was the writer talking about? How was meditation practiced then in the context of the early church as it was forming? And is meditation still useful and beneficial for followers of Jesus today? Good questions. Questions that should percolate in our minds when we see this word. It's a word that's been misunderstood, misused, and often misapplied in the church today. The usefulness, the benefit, and the fruitfulness of meditation is wholly dependent on the who or the what we are meditating on. There are many different forms of this word meditate in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament. In the Psalms, it's often used in a way that means to ponder. Did you ever ponder anything? Right? Sometimes out on the long morning walks, hmm, I wonder. To ponder, to think deeply, to contemplate something, to converse with oneself even. Don't worry, it's okay. We can talk to ourselves. And hopefully when we do, we're saying good and life-giving things. It can also mean to recite aloud. In other portions of the Old Testament, other words carry the same idea of meditation. There's a Hebrew word, haga, which means to murmur. And that can be either pleasantly or angrily. 
Anybody ever murmured angrily? Some of us. Can also mean to imagine, even to mourn. Meditation within ancient Jewish religious practice was seen as a tool to generate awareness and focus and concentration on God's law, God's ways, God's commands, God's faithfulness. It could then be practiced inwardly or outwardly. It could be practiced as community or independently. It is a way that the Jewish community who were seeking to live in covenant faithfulness with their God could together or individually remember, rehearse, and reflect on his words and his promises. The Israelites were and still are in many ways a people who have been heavily oppressed and marginalized. And living in this reality would certainly elevate the need for them to continually remind themselves that God was with them and that God was faithful. So when we hold on to this thread and we pull it into the New Testament church, we find the early church that's forming under the incredible heat of persecution and adversity. Was meditation still applicable for them? Was it something that they could still use? Do we see evidence of it being thought about or talked about in the scriptures? We'll get there. Some of our earliest church fathers and mothers fled to the desert or the wilderness spaces to live in monastic communities where they would form their lives around the simplicities of prayer, contemplation, memorization, and recitation from God's word. And as Christianity eventually, later, became more mainstream, gaining cultural and social acceptance within Rome, early Christians saw the influence of Rome. Sometimes they would refer to Rome as Babylon. Did you ever read about Babylon in the New Testament? A lot of times that's a reference to Rome. And what the early Christian leaders were seeing is they were seeing the influence of Roman culture, Roman thinking, Roman politics, all of those things impinging and infringing upon the church. Much of the material that is written by the early church fathers is written in the spirit of keeping the church free and pure from the influence of what they saw as systems and powers in the world that were corrupt. And so these communities formed and they elevated the habits of waiting, of patience, of contemplation with a devotion to solitude and prayer and a deepening understanding of God's love. One scholar wrote of these early communities, he said this, quote, they express the importance of forgiveness, the centrality of humility, and a willingness to suspend judgment, end quote. All qualities that could be improved within our current cultural climate. And while we all can't live as monks and monastics today, we don't need to in order to live faithfully. We don't have to build towers and climb up in them or move out into desert communities and hide away in the woods. Although that sounds nice. It may sound nice to some of us. We can practice many of these same habits today by purposefully 
and intentionally building them into the contours of our daily lives. Christian meditation is unique because the follower of Jesus has a fixed and solid resource on which to fix or center their mind and their thinking. We have Jesus and we have the Scriptures. These are our anchors that keep us firmly rooted in our daily meditative practices. And there are a number of references on the screen that talk about, in the New Testament, fixing our eyes, setting our minds on Christ and the Scriptures. Friends, here's the reality as we sit here today. We live in a world that's full of distractions, of foolishness, of evil, of injustice, and of violence. Right? Yes. And my goodness, how important to set aside time each day to sit with God and His Word and reflect and rehearse and recite His commands and discern how His precepts might guide us today to live and to act with justice and righteousness. My goodness, that could be helpful for anyone looking to apprentice under Jesus. Hiding the Word of God in our hearts, meaning that it's continually with us everywhere we go throughout the day. It's informing and it's guiding our daily habits and our patterns and our choices and our behaviors and our attitudes. And watch the effect back in Psalm 119. As the writer is meditating on God's words, he's finding that the way that he thinks and lives it, it, it helps him feel wiser than many within his community. Verse 98. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers. By the way, it might not be good to go around saying these things out loud. It may not be the spirit of humility. I don't know. Maybe it would be. I certainly wouldn't say verse 100. Not out loud to anybody. I understand more than the age. I hesitate saying that even now. Reading it from the scriptures. Still feels really odd to say that. But the writer also finds that meditation has been useful in keeping him from evil. Look at verse 101. I hold back my feet because he's spending time in God's word every day and reflecting and rehearsing and, and reciting all of its content that, that's filling his mind. He's holding his feet back from every evil way. I do not turn aside from your rules. He's sustained, satisfied, nourished by God's sweetness, by his word. It's like honey to his mouth, he describes it, using a figure of speech. And as he's meditating on God's word, he discovers that God is teaching him the ways of this world are false. He's learning both what to love and what to hate. And friends, that's so important. It's so important as believers that we learn to love the things that God loves and walk in the ways that God has shown us and to hate the things that God hates and flee from the ways that are not of God. These are important things. So how might this 
look for Jesus' followers today? Meditation. And I'll just give some personal examples from my own life. Sometimes for me it's a word or a phrase that goes with me throughout the day. I'll share a few that go with me often. God, you are with me. Please help me today be present and available for others. That's in my mind. Sometimes it's just having a conversation with God, hearing God speak. Pay attention, Chris. I'm working right here, right now. Sometimes it's reminding and rehearsing a portion of Scripture. For instance, some of us carry the fruit of the Spirit. You're in a situation and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. How can I exude these things? How can I live these things right here in this difficult moment right now? Some of us are walking through seasons where we just have to remind ourselves, cling to Jesus, hold on to hope, do not waver, keep on going. All of these things are biblical. They're with us. One of my favorites lately is try softer. As I've been gracious to you, be gracious with yourself. I don't speak the kindest words to myself all the time. And I need that reminder almost daily. Sometimes just reflecting on the nature of God. God is faithful. He's true. He's righteous. He's just. He's pure. Sometimes it's, it's remembering the things that God said were most important. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your mind, with all of your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In any moment, what might that look like in our lives? Just keeping that with us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Those things. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Here's one that goes with me. Especially when I know I'm going to a difficult or uncertain place where I'm going to be with people that are in difficulty. Lord, help me see this person or this child as you see them. Help me meet them exactly where they need to be met right now in this moment. It's just a prayer. It's just a prayer, a breath prayer. Here's one. If you want to know what, I, what your pastor wrestles with, with the Lord, this is probably weekly on my walks. He hasn't touched my hip yet, thankfully. But <laughs> Lord, what am I holding on to that you're calling me to let go of, to surrender right now? How can I be a presence of peace in this situation today that I'm about to face? Or what would it look like to just stay in this moment a little while longer with you? These are some of the words, some of the phrases that go with your pastor every day. These are some of the ways that I practice daily meditation. And I use that word because I'm chewing on these things throughout the day. They're from the scriptures. They're from God's word. They're not foreign from it or detached from it. They're deeply woven into and connected with it. What are yours? Perhaps even in your note guides right now, you might write a few down that are on your mind and your heart each week. What are the words and phrases that are saturated or filled up with scripture that you take directly from scriptures and that God uses to carry you through each and every day? What are we chewing on, church? What are we chewing on? God's word is sweet and satisfying. It makes us wise in upside down and inside out spaces. 
His words are helping us to discern how to live, how to act, how to think. What are we to love? What are we to hate? What are we to encourage? What are we to discourage? When should we run towards something or someone? And when should we flee or run away? Keeping all of that in mind, we move then into the final stanza of Psalm 119, where we find God's word able to help deliver and delight God's people. Words of hope. Psalm 119, 169, the final letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the final stanza of Psalm 119. 169. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Exclamation mark. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word for all of your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation. Where does that take us back? As a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. I long for your salvation, 174. O Lord, your law is my delight. Let your soul live, that my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commands. If you like to highlight or underline in your Bibles, I know some of you do, maybe you like to take notes in the margin, I love the synergy in this last stanza. It's, it's very intentional, it must be because the author is making it a back and forth. If you start with the me, I, me statements, give them a color or a mark, maybe you circle them or underline them, and then if you move to the you slash your statements and give them a second color or mark, watch how this back and forth jumps off the page of the scriptures. Again, verse 169, let my cry come before you. Give me understanding of your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. Back and forth, back and forth. One of the verses in that last stanza that stuck out to me the most was verse 171. And it's ironic because when I read it early in the week, I was reminded of 2002. February of 2002, it was the Super Bowl following the events of 9 11. I was a sophomore in college at the time, and our college was very close to Ground Zero. Not far, like very close. It was like an hour and 10 minutes. So many of the students at school had taken trips, had already gone to New York to see the damage. Others had planned trips for the spring to go. Some were going to do open air evangelism. 
uh, to participate in worship services that were taking place around the city at the time. And that year in particular, after the tragedy of 9-11, whoever was in charge of the halftime show of the Super Bowl had invited a fairly well-known rock band that has international experience around the world. America was in need of a reminder that those on the outside aren't all enemies. They're not all seeking to destroy us. And so they invited a band that year to lead the halftime performance that had had significant international experience and appeal. And he got up and he began to sing. He sung a few songs and he was kind of at the back of the stage and I was watching the game. I don't exactly remember where I was, um, whether I was in a dorm or whether I was at somebody's house, but I do remember this moment as I was watching the halftime show. He walked from the back of the stage towards the front of the stage with the microphone and he started praying. And he prayed this. From Psalm 51. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. And when I read the words of Psalm 119, 171 this week, that's where my mind went to that moment. I don't know why. It was powerful, it was moving. I think it was something our nation perhaps needed at the time. Ironically, the Super Bowl halftime performance that year was chided as being too religious. A lot of people were kind of hard on it. But we were experiencing a bit of a revival in the light of those terrible events of 9-11. I love God's word. It is so powerful, it is so moving, and it reaches into places and spaces that we could never imagine. And here we are, friends, Psalm 119 ends in the same exact place where many of us are standing today. I want to read it from another translation because I think it's just a beautiful wording. Starting in Psalm 119, 174. I'm homesick, God, for your salvation. I love it when you show yourself. Invigorate my soul so I can praise you well. Use your decrees to put iron in my soul. And should I wander off like a lost sheep, seek me. I'll recognize the sound of your voice. And when I read that this week, I thought, John 10, Jesus, the good shepherd, my sheep know my voice. And I thought, Luke 15, Jesus leaves the 99 to go after the one. He did it for me. He did it for you. He saved us. And as we prepare for communion today, I'm going to invite our elders to go to the back now and 
prepare to get ready for that time. I think it's important to remind ourselves that we serve a Savior who came speaking His Father's words. Not only did He speak the words of His Father, but He said throughout His ministry that the words of His Father sustained and satisfied Him. He told the parable of the shepherd who would leave the 99 to seek the one. He spoke about the good shepherd whose sheep would hear his voice. And that good shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep, even those sheep who were prone to wonder. So today, as our elders come and we prepare to receive communion, we remember and we proclaim the sacrifice. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The bread of life broken for you and for me. The new wine poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts for this time. Father, we do thank you for your word. It is powerful and magnificent and comforting all at once. Lord, we could spend our whole lives reflecting on it, chewing on it, meditating on it, thinking about it, and we would never exhaust the depths of its content. In fact, Father, you're so good that for most of us, perhaps all of us, we learn the older we grow that the more we come to know and love you, the more we realize there is to learn about you. You are so wonderful and mysterious to us. And so, Father, today, first, we pray that if there's any here today that have not known you, that do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that right now in these moments, perhaps, Lord, you would reconcile them Bring them to a place of confession and repentance, of, of a realization of their great need for you, where they could confess you as Lord with their mouths and believe in their hearts that you have raised your son Jesus from the dead. Father, there's salvation. There's hope. And so, Lord, we ask that if there's any here today who have not known of the life that's available in Jesus, that they might find that life even now in these quiet and still moments. And then, Father, for those of us who are in Christ, who know you, who love you, who desire to seek and follow after you, hard things happen in this world. Lord, relationships break apart and become damaged. There's illness. There's seasons of loneliness quiet suffering, hiding in shame, all of these things. Lord, we live in a space that is hard and good altogether, blended. And sometimes it's hard, of us, hard for us to make sense of it. We ask now in these moments you would prepare our hearts to receive the body and the blood of communion today. Lord, if there's any relationships in our life that need to, be or need to be repaired, that are damaged and need repair, help us forgive in our hearts if we haven't yet forgiven. 
Help us forgive those who've sinned against us and who've wronged us. Lord, we don't want to participate in this time of communion, holding on to any bitterness or hostility. We want to be free from that. So give us the strength and the grace and the mercy now to forgive. I know that can be hard. Some of us have been deeply wounded. But Lord, forgiveness is so freeing. Father, for those of us that are living in shame, that are hiding secret sin in our lives, thinking that it, it isn't affecting anyone but ourselves, thinking that there could be no forgiveness, there could be no love for the things that we've done. Lord, break us. Draw us out into the light. Help us to confess and repent, Lord, because in those things there is life and restoration and reconciliation. Walking in light is where we want to be. For those of us living in those dark spaces today, Lord, direct our feet to the paths that are lit with hope, forgiveness, and healing. Lord, our hearts and our minds are ready to celebrate this time together as a community, as a body of Christ. We want to praise you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, for all that he has done, for coming to this earth as one of us, for living the perfect sinless life, and for going to the cross and laying down his life that we might know life in abundance. We praise you for that. And we pray that our gratitude would be reflected in this act of worship today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.